Can we understand the Bible alike? We read from Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6 this morning. So let me go ahead and pull up these. Um, make sure that's running. Introduction lessons there. Can we understand the Bible alike? Yes, we can. Do we all understand the Bible alike? Obviously, not all. And so the question is, can we, not do we? So three points we're going to take a look at this morning. Men can understand the Bible. Men have known the truth, and they should maybe put on there in the past, and men can understand the Bible alike. So, I'll just put that first point up there uh, as we get uh, started this morning. So, if we ask that question, can we understand the Bible alike? My affirmative answer to that is yes, absolutely, we can understand the Bible alike. God intended for us to understand the Bible alike. But do we all understand the Bible alike? Well, obviously... No, we don't because we're at different places and different stages of understanding and growing and learning and so forth. And as you look out on the religious world today, you would say, do we all understand it alike? Well, obviously we don't understand exactly the same because we're not all practicing the same thing. But the question remains, can we? And I believe the definitive answer to that is yes, we can. And God intends for us to understand it the same. Amos, the third chapter, in verse 3 in the Old Testament. Can two walk together except they agree? That's a rhetorical question. (laughs) The obvious answer is, unless they agree, they can't walk together. So the intent is for us to agree. I'm going to read to you from John, the 17th chapter. John, chapter 17, verse 15 through 21. And once again, I want to emphasize, as we've talked about before from the Gospel of John, this is the last hours that Jesus is with the apostles on this night in which he's going to be betrayed. And this is some of the last things that he is saying to them. So John, the 17th chapter, beginning at verse 15, he's praying to the Father. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, he's talking about the apostles, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. What's Jesus praying? He's praying first for the apostles, and then he's praying for all those who will come to believe on him through their word, and he said that they might all be one and that the world might come to believe that God sent His Son. I want you to turn now, if you've got a New Testament with you, over to the book of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the third chapter, a passage that we oftentimes quote, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, for all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And then it wraps up by saying that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good works. Every good work. That's what God's word, that's what the scriptures does for you. But verse 15, 
is the verse that we oftentimes don't quote along with that. And in verse 15, Paul is writing to Timothy, talking to Timothy, and he's reminding him of what he had known from his childhood. Verse 15, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, Timothy, you've known these scriptures from your childhood, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Where did Timothy get that faith? 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul says, when I call to remember the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in you also. How did Timothy get that faith? He got it from his mother. Where did his mother get it? From his grandmother. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, it was handed down to you. How did you come to have that faith? Through the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise. If we can't understand it, then how is it going to make us wise? And that faith was handed down from the grandmother to the mother to Timothy. In the same book, backing up to chapter 2, Paul's going to say, study to show thyself approved unto God. So now, what's Paul suggesting through all that? That salvation, faith in Jesus Christ is going to come through the Scriptures. It could be handed down from one generation to the next. And that faith doesn't change from one to the next. And the way to come to get that is through God's Word, but you have to study that. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and verse 5, Ephesians 5, verse 17, Paul says, Be not unwise, but understand what the will of God is. It's a command, is what he said. But in order to come to understand it, then we've got to read it. We've got to study it. Apply ourselves to it. So we start to ask these questions along these lines. Can we understand the Bible? Can we understand the Bible alike? And we think about God delivering His Word. And God understands man and God understands His Word. And He delivered this Word the way He did. And to man understanding the way He is. God knew what He was doing. Ephesians the third chapter in verse 3. We read that text this morning. Kenny did. And Paul says, Whereby revelation I came to know. He goes on to say to the church at Ephesus that when you read, you can come to understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In that context, Paul says, It was made known to me by revelation. So what did he do? He then wrote it down. What does he want them to do? He wants them to read it. And he says, when you read it, 
you can understand it. Revelation, as it's used in the New Testament, it means that which is laid bare, that which is to be made known. If it's not laid bare, if it is not able to be known, then it's not a revelation. That's what Paul is saying. But Paul says it was revealed, and I wrote it. When you read it, you can understand it. Why is that so important? Because sometimes you will hear the excuse. Well... We just can't understand it. Or people will say, well, we just can't understand it alike. But Paul says, it was made known. I wrote it. You read it. You can understand it. First Corinthians chapter 2, which we studied just recently. Paul was saying that we have received the Spirit of God that we might know those things that have been freely given to us by God. If we can't know, then we don't know what we've been given. That's what Paul's saying. You can read, you can know, and you can know the things that have been freely given to you by God. So we have to ask the question then. Would God give us something that we can't understand? John, the 12th chapter, and about verse 48. Jesus said, He who rejects me and receives not my sayings has one who judges him. This same word that I have spoken shall judge you in the last day. So let's think about that for just a moment. It's the day of judgment. You're standing before God. And the book is opened. And it's like, you didn't ever do... Sorry, God, I just couldn't understand it. You think that'll wash? On the day of judgment. Jesus said this same word that I have spoken. Shall judge you in that last day. So for people to say well I just can't understand it. The question has to be then why? Once again Ephesians 5. Be not underwise. But understand, that's a command, understand what the will of God is. So God says the man can understand it. He's made it known through his word. And it's through that word that we're ultimately going to be judged. Secondly, Men have known the truth in the past. Turn to the Old Testament, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah. And I want to read from Nehemiah, the 8th chapter. It's 
going to be a little bit of a lengthy reading. It's going to be verses 1 through 12. Now, one of the reasons why in reading some of these scriptures this morning from John 17 and from Nehemiah the 8th chapter and stuff, I think it's pretty reasonable. I think it's pretty evident from the scriptures without much commentary on it. That a person can read that and they can understand God has made this known. We can understand this word. God is going to hold us accountable to it. And as you just read it for yourself, you can reach those conclusions. Nehemiah, the 8th chapter. Now I want to remind you, for those who have been here on Wednesday evening, if you haven't been here on Wednesday evening, we invite you to come study with us on Wednesday evening because we're studying the Old Testament. And right now we're in the book of 2 Kings, right? And we started quite a while back. (laughs) And we studied Judges, and remember that mess? (laughs) Then we studied Joshua. Then we went into 1 Samuel. And they weren't happy with having Judges anymore. And what did they ask for? They asked for a king. And God, what did God allow them to do? He allowed them to have a king. Remember what he told him through Samuel? You can have a king, but the rules stay the same. (laughs) You're still accountable to my word. So they had a king. And there's that period of time that we refer to as the United Kingdom. Saul, David, Solomon. Remember that? (laughs) And how'd that go? Well, not so good, did it? And so fact, by the time you get into 2 Kings, what happens? In the first Kings, I'm sorry. The nation ends up dividing. And now you've got kings in the north and you've got kings in the south. And up to this point in time, we've kind of been focusing mostly on those kings of the north. What's the reason why that they are having so much trouble? It's because they don't listen to God. <laughs> And has God given them a book? Yes, He has. In fact, clear back before they entered into the land, Joshua was given a book. Remember what he was told about that book? Read this book. Learn this book. Do not depart from this book. This book is going to be what's going to guide you. So all I'm saying is this. How'd they do with all that? Not so good, did they? And so now we're clear up in 2 Kings. And we've gone through a series of northern kings. And they've all been evil. And in the south, they've had some good. And we've talked about how there's 20 in the north and 20 in the south. And all of them in the north are evil. And only eight of them in the south are good. We're in 2 Kings 9 this Wednesday, if you're going to be here. (laughs) But we're coming up on 2 Kings 17 real soon. And in 2 Kings 17, the northern ten tribes are going to be invaded, carried away by Assyria. Why is that? Because they've not been faithful. And then by the time we get to the end of 2 Kings, Judah is going to be carried away. And why is that? 
because they've not been faithful. And so they'll spend 70 years in captivity. And then eventually God will allow them to return. And they'll be back in the land. And they'll be trying to rebuild the city and the walls and the temple. Why are they there? Because they weren't faithful. They didn't read that word. They didn't keep that word. They went off into apostasy. They turned away from God. And eventually he allowed their enemies to so overrun them that they were just completely removed from the land. Just like he had told them back in the book of Deuteronomy before they ever went in. If you're faithful, I'll keep you here. If you're not, I'll remove you. And he did. A word they could read, they could understand, and be held accountable to. And they failed. And so he removed it. But over and over and over again, what have we seen through these studies? God is gracious. God is gracious. And so he allows them to come back. Allows them back in the land. So what do you think ought to be on their minds when God allows them to come back into the land? Oh, maybe we ought to get that book. And maybe we ought to read it. Right? Nehemiah the 8th chapter. They're back in the land. Get that book. Nehemiah 8 verse 1. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Before the men and women, those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand, I'm not going to read all these names, it's tongue twisting enough for me. (laughs) There's certain ones that are there with him. And you see what's going on here? They're back. Bring that book. Let's read that book. And so Ezra is kind of elevated up on a platform, and he's going to read to them. And he reads from morning until midday. And it says that all the men and women that were there who could hear, and what else? They could understand. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. Now watch. 
He was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Why do you think that is? Oh, there's that book. You know that book that we didn't have too much respect for? We didn't have too much reverence for? Now we're back. And now we're going to read from that book. Now we're going to show a little respect for it. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand. What did they do? Let's read this. Let's teach this. Let's help you to understand this. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. What do you think that is? Like I say, we're in 2 Kings 9 right now. And we're headed towards that point where they're going to get removed. But then eventually God is gracious and He allows them to come back. And now they get that book and they read it. Do you think maybe it's finally dawned on them? (laughs) Oh, that's what happened. Verse 10, Then He said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Go get that book. Let's read that book. Let's study that book. And then they begin to weep. Again, they begin to rejoice. Because they went away and they understood. (laughs) They understood. Turn back just a minute to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. In verses 1 and 2. So this is before they were ever in the land. This is still Moses. Deuteronomy 4, chapter, verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, our fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Here's this word. This is what I'm teaching you. So that you can go in and you can possess that land. And that you can do that which God commands you. That was going to be their blessing. 
Now that kind of brings up another point. Because see, sometimes people will bring up things and they will seem to be skeptical about this. And they'll mention other books. And they'll mention books that this book quotes from. And they'll say, where are those books? Trying to throw doubt on this book. So what did Moses just tell these people? This is the word which God has commanded. I'm delivering this to you. So that you can know and you can go in and you can do. Was God able to deliver? And was that able that word able to be understood? So that they could do? And what did Moses say? Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. This is it. So I ask you the question again. Do you think we have it? John 16, Jesus promised they would be guided into all truth. Do we have it? Jude 3 says the faith was once delivered unto the saints. Do we have it? Peter says he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Do we have it? 2 Timothy 3, so that the man of God can be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Do we have it? He says we have it. So let me ask you. Did God deliver his word in the past? Yeah. <laughs> Could they understand it? Yeah. Were they held accountable to it? Yeah. So now sometimes people come along and they go, well, I think there's some books missing. And they'll bring up this book or that book or they'll bring up the Apocryphas and all these kind of things. And I want to say, do you think you're throwing shade on God? (laughs) Are you trying to tell me that God couldn't deliver His Word? Are you trying to tell me He couldn't preserve that Word so that we have exactly what He wants us to have? And that we shouldn't add to it and we shouldn't take away from it I believe he's capable I believe that's exactly what he did I think that's exactly why those passages are recorded there for us so that we can have full confidence in what we have is the word that he has delivered to us and that it is an all sufficient guide and blessing to us and we'll be held accountable to it So Nehemiah, they spoke so the people could hear. And they taught them so they could understand. And Moses said, giving this word, that when you go in, that you might be able to do. And after they were removed from the land and they came back, they got that book. And they read that book. And at first they wept. And then they rejoiced.
so they could understand it. So now then, can we understand the Bible alike? That's still the question. Well, I want to suggest to you that the Bible doesn't teach a hundred different things to a hundred different people on a hundred different subjects. I think the faith through the scriptures that dwelt in Lois and that Lois through the scriptures passed on to Eunice and that Eunice passed on to Timothy, it was the same scriptures. It was the same faith. And the same faith that dwelt in Eunice is the same faith that dwelt in Timothy. The same faith that pointed to Jesus Christ. The same faith that was able to make one wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Those scriptures pointed to Him. You know, maybe to give just an illustration. At some point in time, all of us have studied a little bit of math anyway, right? And so from early on, I can remember we used to have blackboards. And there might be a couple of students that would stand at the front and a teacher would give you like three or four different numbers and you'd write them all down and then he wants you to add those together. And if you understood just simple math and how to add those numbers together, you would come up with an answer. And sometimes you might come up with a different answer than the kid next to you or the next kid next to you might come up with a different answer than you. And then the teacher would tell you which one of you were right. But when there were two different answers, I never did hear her say, you're both right. No, if you understand it, you're going to come up with the same answer. So what's it sound like when we read from John the 17th chapter and Jesus prays to the Father, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. The language is used there is the sum of thy word is truth. He's delivered the truth to us. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And then he prays, not only for those who are with him at that time, but for all those who will come to believe on him through their word, that they will be able, capable of teaching so that they come to believe and that they might all be one. Not a whole bunch of different ones. So let me go back to the math illustration. So let's say two students are adding up numbers and they come up with different answers. Do you think do you think the teacher's going to say, Will you just live your truth? Well, how's that work when you go to the grocery store then? 
what's a dozen eggs nowadays? $20? I don't know. <laughs> Let's say $5 for a dozen eggs. And so I tell the owner of the grocery store, well, that's your truth. You want to hear mine? Here's 50 cents. <laughs> that's my truth. You live your truth, I'll live mine, okay? There we go, that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work in math. It doesn't work in life. It doesn't work in the scriptures. So can we understand it? Yeah. Have men understood it in the past? Yes. Have they been held accountable? Yes. Were they taught different things? No. Same word for all of them. Moses never told Israel, well, you just go on the land, you just live out your truth. No, he said, this is the way. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're held accountable to. So as we think about that, and we think about the truth that is taught in the Scriptures, and you think about Jesus, and you think about the New Testament, and you think about when He came, There were some who believed that he was the Messiah. There were others that didn't. So Jesus said in John 5, You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. So the scriptures, just like Paul was talking about with Timothy, that faith that dwelt in Lois and then in Eunice, then in Timothy, the scriptures, that holy scriptures that you've known from your youth, that can make you wise unto salvation through how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the scriptures he's talking about that was pointing to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. Those scriptures were pointing to Him. And that's the truth that you're going to be held accountable to. Sometimes people will say things like, oh, I I don't believe in God. Well, just because they choose not to believe doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. (laughs) And he has made himself known. And people will be held accountable to that truth. Not just their own truth. But to that truth. And so whenever we stop and we think about that, we have to ask ourselves, I'm going to read you a few passages from the book of Acts. We have to ask ourselves, why... Why would we not understand it alike? So I'm going to read to you, first of all, from Acts the 17th chapter, and you'll recall that this is Paul, city of Athens, on Mars Hill. And as he's passing through, he sees all these different monuments, these different idols that they've erected to various gods. And in Acts the 17th chapter, beginning at about verse 30, He says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. 
but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There's where the rub comes in. Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Did they all believe in the resurrection? No. It says some of them just mocked him when he spoke of the resurrection. Why was that? Because they already had a preconceived idea that there is no resurrection. Why couldn't they understand the truth that had been clearly prophesied and displayed before them? Because they were biased. They were prejudiced against the truth. What is it that stands in the way sometimes of men understanding it alike? Because they've got preconceived ideas. Instead of just reading the truth and saying, that's what I'll follow. Sometimes, I'll turn back to the book of, or uh, chapter 7, book of Acts. This is Stephen, first Christian martyr. I'm going to read to you from verse 51 down through verse 58. And so Stephen says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who were foretold the coming, killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. How come they couldn't understand God's Word? He says, you're stiff-necked. <laughs> and you just reject it. Do you ever talk to someone and you say, well, yeah, but this is what God says. And you're, and you're trying to show them. <laughs> yeah, but this, this is what God says. And have you ever heard anybody in reply just say, I don't care what it says. <laughs> you ever heard that? That's what Stephen's saying. That's just I'm not interested. Why can't we understand the light? Sometimes people say, I don't care. I know what I believe. <laughs> and I just don't care. I don't want to hear it. Acts 13. This is the first missionary journey. Paul had gone into the synagogue. And so Acts 13, I'll begin at verse 42. And read down through verse 45. And so when the Jews 
went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. What, what, what Luke just record for us. There they are. They're preaching on that first missionary journey. They're in the synagogue. There are some devout Jews. And there are proselytes. And they hear what's being said. And we want more. We want to hear that. And they follow them. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Well, they saw this now. They're jealous. They're jealous. Some are following. They're gaining a following and more. And then they're jealous. So they don't want to follow. Turn to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. This is Jesus on one occasion. He's talking to the Sadducees. And the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. And so they come to Jesus with a question and they think they can trap him by asking this question about somebody who's died and and the wife is left behind and and then his brother marries her because that's what the law would say and then he dies and so the next brother marries her and this goes on for seven of them so now they they think they've set the trap and they say to Jesus so tell us Jesus whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection she married all them fellas. So Jesus answered and said to them, You're mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, You have not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You know what Jesus said? If you study His Word, you'd understand that. So what's He saying to them? You know why you and I don't agree? Because you don't read. And you don't understand. So of course we're not going to see it the same. So sometimes there's just a lack of study. But oftentimes what men do is they try to charge God. Well, He gave us a word that's too difficult. Or sometimes they try to charge themselves. Well, I just can't understand And isn't that a way to kind of get off the hook? Oh, I just don't get it. (laughs) No, God says you can get it. And that's what Nehemiah says. He read and they could understand. There are a lot of issues facing us today. 
A lot of subjects to discuss and to study as as evidence by our class this morning, right? So why this lesson today? Well, it's just my thought that there's a lot of challenging subjects in 1 Corinthians. And I'm pretty confident that right at this moment in time, we may not see all of that exactly the same. But the point is, is God's Word understandable? Yes, it is. Have people understood it in the past? Yes, they have. Does God expect us to understand it? Yes, He does. So what is suggested from the Scriptures about how to reach that same position? Read it. (laughs) Study it. And that way you can come to understand. That's not a charge against anyone. That's an encouragement to all of us. It's evident in the New Testament. Congregations didn't just come together and all of a sudden everybody just agreed on everything. (laughs) It took time. And it's the same thing for us today. There are lots of subjects that have divided brethren down through the ages. Not just the denominations, but the brethren. Talk to brethren about 1 Corinthians 5. You'll find some differences. Talk to brethren about the work of the church. Evangelism, edification, and benevolence. And then some want to veer off into social programs. Is that a work of the church? Talk to various ones about the organization of the church. Talk about autonomy of the church. Talk about elders and qualifications in the work. There's plenty of subject matters and issues to discuss. And the way to get there is to read it, to study it earnestly. Pray about it. And work. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Handling aright the word of truth. In another as I close. In another what seems to me very obvious. Very easy to understand. Jesus Himself would say, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And yet sometimes people will say, I I don't have to believe on Him. That's what Jesus said. It seems pretty simple to me. So I'd have to ask, why, why don't they believe that? Jesus Himself said, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That seems pretty simple to me. And yet, some don't seem to think that that's necessary. There are some religious teachers today that won't even hardly teach on it. 
Jesus said, "Unless you confess me before men, I'll confess me before men, and I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Deny me before men, and I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven." Seems pretty simple. Jesus Himself said, "He that believes and is baptized shall be saved." And yet, sometimes people will say, "I don't think you have to be baptized." You have to ask yourself, why don't they believe it? Seems like a simple statement. So as you think about, can we understand the Bible alike? Was God capable of delivering His Word? Yes, He is. In a way that we could understand it, yes, He did. But the problem lies not with God or with His Word, but sometimes we are prejudiced against it. Sometimes men can just be obstinate. Sometimes they can be jealous. Sometimes they've not read and studied and come to understand. So can we understand it alike? Yeah. Do we all automatically? No. It takes them. I'll leave it there and extend the invitation. If we can help you in any way this morning, make your relationship with the Lord right, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.